Two people are walking across a cold, bare grove. The moon accompanies them. They gaze at it. The moon courses above the tops of the oak trees. Not a cloud obscures the light of heaven. A woman's voice speaks. I am bearing a child, but it is not yours. I walk in sin beside you. I have transgressed deeply against myself. I had no longer believed in happiness, but yet was yearning for some sense of purpose, for the happiness and responsibility of motherhood. And so I dared, and shuddering, allowed myself to be embraced by a strange man, and I became pregnant. Now life has brought its revenge because I have met you. She walks with awkward step. The moon accompanies them. She gazes at it. Her dark glance is inundated with light. The man's voice speaks. Do not let this child that you are carrying be a burden on your soul. Look how the universe gleams. There is a radiance on everything. We drift together on a cool sea. But somehow there is a special warmth which flickers from you to me, from me to you. And this will transfigure the child. You will bear the child for me and from me. You have brought radiance to me. You have made me like a child. He clasps her around her strong hips. Their breath mingles in the breeze. And the two people walk off together into the high, bright night. That's a poem, Transfigured Night, by the German expressionist poet Richard Demel, the text of which Schoenberg used as the basis for a string sextet that he wrote in 1899, only three years after the composition of the poem, in fact. And he made history with the sextet because it was, as far as I know, the first example of program music written for chamber ensemble. He went on then in 1917 to make the sextet into a version for full string orchestra, and that's the version that we're working with today. Now, Transfigured Night, in terms of Schoenberg, Verklärte Nacht, this German title, is more than just a program piece. It's more than just a piece of music which tells that particular, very kind of intense, almost sort of adolescent story. It's more like a kind of cliffhanger in a way, in terms of the old world and the new world. 1899, as I said, the year he wrote the piece. A time when music was at its most heady, overblown and decadent. And there's a sense then that with this piece, it's got one foot firmly in the secure, sweet, known and reasonable soil of the 19th century of that full-blown decadent romanticism. And the other foot reaching out very uncertainly over the precipice into the 20th century, the abysmal century of wars, atonality, all that was new, unknown, unsweet, unreasonable. So the piece occupies an incredibly important place in terms of musical history. One foot in the old, and one foot reaching very far into the new. Not surprisingly, when it was first performed in 1903, it caused a furore. One critic said that it was as if someone had taken the score of Tristan and smeared it while the ink was still wet, which is an absurdity, in fact, because the Wagnerian lines are very pure, very carefully worked out. They have an absolutely insuperable logic about them. Coupled to that, a kind of Brahmsian sense of structure and a sort of a style which is very reminiscent of early Richard Strauss. 
Now, I want to take you through some of the kind of highlights of this work, extraordinary work, just to illustrate, I suppose, the points where he is illustrating this extraordinary Demel poem and some of the kind of structural decisions that he makes at the same time. So if you think about that first few lines of text, two people walking in a cold, bare grove, the opening material has an almost kind of plodding awkwardness about it. It's almost as if the music itself is pregnant. You get this very low, very kind of insistent, ghostly pedal line. It's just a D in the lower cello part and in the lower viola part. And over the top of it, this very pregnant phrase starts to unfold. You've heard there in what the lower cellos and the bass do with that grinding figure. It's actually the beginning of the walking figure that we heard earlier in the upper violas, upside down. It's inverted, which is an interesting device and one that Schoenberg uses a great deal. Here's some other principal material to show for you. Schoenberg was so strict in his composition in this piece, the architecture of the piece, that whenever he's got a theme or a theme that's been varied that is of primary importance, he puts a P in the score. When it's of secondary importance, he puts an S. He's so emphatic about how the structure of the piece should be rigidly realized. We're going to start to move forward. Now, what has all this got in common? It's cramped, constricted chromaticism. Very small intervals between the notes, which read volumes in terms of the subject matter at this point in the poem. These two young people, I guess adolescent people, he can already smell that there is something desperately wrong, a whole volume of issues to be dealt with. And the cramped nature of the music, the lack of a sense of anywhere to go, not knowing where to go, is also a metaphor for where romanticism had arrived because Wagnerian 
Romanticism was in itself extremely chromatic. And towards the end of it, at its most overblown, at its most extreme, there is the same sense that you don't quite know where it can possibly go next. Some sense of outpouring, perhaps. Maybe. She's starting to get things off her chest. Things might potentially be moving forward. But, of course, she has no idea how he is going to take it. 55? Here's a new idea. Now, talking of Wagner, a little point later, we get one of those themes in particular expressed in very, very sort of straight Wagnerian terms. What's interesting about it is it's also set in the time of what you might call a Siciliana, which is an ancient dance which has been revised over the years, used once and again by many composers over the centuries. It's effectively a dance where each beat's divided into three. So rather than getting one and two and three, you get one and, and two so it gives it a kind of a swaying sort of pastoral character so maybe again some let up maybe there's already a clue a sense that the man's response to the woman's appalling news is going to be less than death Curiously reminiscent of Siegfried Idyll, which is a great work by Richard Wagner, written to celebrate the birth of his son. And I feel that the text here of Demel's poem must be along the lines of that bit where she's saying that she's been yearning for happiness, yearning for motherhood and all the responsibility and joy 
that that brings. No coincidence, I'm sure. Now we get two ideas out of the same idea, if you see what I mean. One principal idea that we played for you earlier, now split between two different voices, and then it splinters and more voices become involved in elements of the same one theme, as Schoenberg dissects the idea. Big moment of drama. This, I suspect, is the moment where she said, I let my body be embraced by a strange man and I have become pregnant. A new terror, real horror and desperation confronting the abyss. They are, these two, in turmoil. Just listen to the upper strings, what happens next. There's a translucent light of the moon here, a counterpoint to their dark thoughts. Translucent texture. Now, in this next section, we get pretty much an amalgamation of all the thematic material we've had to this point, still trying to find a way forward and being set back time and time again. Held back. On again. Held back again. Now we get, in a sense, chromaticism in its death throes, the last possible moment before ultimate collapse of all this heady, decadent music which had been the bulk of the latter half of the 19th century.
Life has taken its revenge now that I've met you. There is no way forward except into utter hopelessness. that walking music from the very, very start, only Schoenberg has now really beefed it up. It's like the two of them, her in particular, are walking through wet concrete. Now, shortly after this, we get that extraordinary phrase in the text where Demel describes her dark glance being inundated with light. And Schoenberg depicts this in musical terms in the most rarefied and extraordinary fashion. Maybe there is a way forward. We go into the major. Let the child you've conceived be no burden on your soul. So, he's filling her with his light, he's saying, it's fine, you are pregnant by another man, but my love for you is such that that child will be transfigured by this love and made our child. You remember he goes on to say, oh, see how the universe gleams. There's a radiance on everything. You drift with me on a cool sea. Amazing words. But a special warmth flickers from you to me and from me to you.
last section of that translucent material there, the strings are directed to play sul ponticello, which means putting the bow right over the bridge, which gives it that kind of gleaming metallic quality. 332, please. This is kind of the final big climax to the piece that we play for you now. This is undoubtedly where they are reconciled. He has made it absolutely clear that his love for her is enough. The child will become their child, that she has given him a new sort of radiance and in a way that she's made him feel like a child himself. <laughs> ironic that uh, he can't leave the essence of that really glorious almost if you will groin churning music which at first erupted out of the cellos at the point at which the man says it's okay that child will become our child. Shembo can't leave that alone and I think there's an irony in the very fact that he chose to write that particular music at that particular moment of breakthrough of sudden rejoicing of sudden hope and future for the two of them because he then went on plunging into the 20th century off the edge of that cliff that I described earlier, to write music which was anything but tonal. And that the way forward, as far as Schoenberg was concerned, for the whole of music, and he was very proud, if not arrogant, of the serial system that he went on to devise, saying that it would secure the supremacy of German music for at least the next century. So it's curious that at this moment of utter positivity in the piece, he chose to write the ultimate romantic melody. One last little bit of it here, and it's particularly fun to enjoy what the violas have, this sort of slithering chromatic line, which at each moment suggests a different harmony within this kind of glistening. They're almost ready to walk off now into that high, bright night. We get one last version, though, of that walking music we heard at the very start, and then most poignantly, a little later on, as I pointed out. It comes back again now, but it has a different quality to it, even though essentially it's the same thematic material. You can hear how it's more fluid.
And they walk off together into Schoenberg, Zenrichard Demel's high, bright, and transfigured night. Any questions? Did Schoenberg's orchestration of the piece, as opposed to the string stat-tat version, was it a dissatisfaction with the six strings? Because in the orchestration, each of the uh, string parts are sometimes divided into three, sometimes divided into four parts. I think what he was doing was realizing the fuller potential of the piece, which was always inherent in the sextet version. I mean, the sextet version is, as I'm sure you, well, you obviously know, extremely powerful piece of composition. It was, as I said earlier, the first ever program music written for a chamber ensemble. And as such, I suppose program music, the very nature of it, demands color, texture, depth, range. But in rescaling the piece for string orchestra, he was merely filling in the kind of shades, I suppose, which were inherent in the sextet version, but somehow missing. Was he being deliberately provocative, choosing a poem which must have been very shocking at the time for this piece? That's a very good question. I don't think Schoenberg was like that. The way he dealt with the critics who savaged the piece when it was first performed was perfunctory, really. He just said, well, you know, in a way, that's their problem. If they don't get my music, it's their problem. And and so in choosing the poem, no, I think he chose it just because it really spoke to him. Could you mention a little bit more about the German poet and how it was known that there was a link between that piece of poetry and the music? Well, the, the link between the, the piece of poetry and the music was very specific in that Schoenberg made no bones about the fact that he discovered this poem. He's a great fan of Richard Demel's writing anyway, who was a very prominent expressionist poet in the last part of the 19th century. This poem came along in a selection of poems which were called Women and the World. So a number of different scenarios similar to the one expressed in Fekletenacht. So it was very public that Schoenberg had taken this text. And remember, there was an awful lot of program music writing going on at the time, people taking something beyond the music, as it were, a subject, a framework, a series of colors, a narrative thread, a texture of some sort, to embroider the music and to make, as it were, the music's soul, so that the music was no longer abstract as such. It was always seeking to explain something beyond itself. Demel was not the only expressionist poet writing that kind of material. There were loads of them springing up, not just in Germany either. A real sense of everything that was known and secure in the world on the brink of absolute precipice. I'd like to know how difficult this is to conduct and play. Are you all our friends? <laughs> it's absolutely fiendish. Uh, I mean, the conducting is, is hard, but the playing of it is appallingly hard. It's just, it's extremely difficult. And also, we've got a very, very small ensemble, almost the smallest you can play this full version with. So everyone has soloistic material a lot of the time. It's fiendishly hard, but I know that your love and your good thoughts will be with us when we perform it in a minute. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for your questions. So in this glorious space, the Bristol Old Vic, I'm reliably informed the second oldest theatre in the country, built, I think, when Mozart was 10, which makes it exactly 130 years older than Schoenberg's Verkletenacht, which we'll perform for you now. <laughs> 